0: teacher gave her second, her class of second graders a lesson on the magnet and what it does. In a written test, she included the question. My full name has six letters. First one is M. I pick up things. What am I? <laughs> the test papers were turned in. Fifty percent of the students answered the question with the word Mother, <laughs> exactly. Uh, think of mother, we think of people who do pick things How many mothers pick things up? Holy smokes, does it ever stop? And what about the husbands? I mean, why don't they pick? I won't get into that. What uh, about the kids? Mothers are known for picking up things. Mothers are known for love, biblically. It's an image when describing love. And what we're going to learn, there's four different words for love in Greek and and the love of God is known by a particular word. Um, the mothers are known for love as well. We're looking at things that remain, lasting investments. And what it says in the Bible, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And it says, but the greatest of these is love. Uh, when it says that these things remain, it's saying they retain their value. They don't lose their value over time. And we talked last week about faith, hope, and love, trying to understand that And, and what these things do. What we saw is that when we have faith breathes freely and when we understand God, we exhale our concerns to him. And as the song, we inhale his commitments to us. That's what faith does. Faith doesn't turn its face from the reality of life. It looks at the reality of life. It doesn't pretend that there aren't issues, it touches the issues, it holds the issues, and holds God's hand at the same time. What faith does, it exhales the concerns to God, understanding that he hears, and inhales his commitments to us. And then faith does that, then hope waits perseveringly. Hope in the Bible is a confidence that God will balance the scales. He will change the price tags, and the things that he honors will be valued. And hope waits perseveringly, and then what love does is responds gently. And if you recognize these things, they come from the five steps that we've looked at, trying to capture, how to capture the message. And we have come up with a couple of things, the 10 commitments, which the song was based on, and then the five steps. These are step three, four, and five. The first step is to be real when we are honest about where we are in our life, that we have things we don't want and we don't have things that we do want. And we have some things that we want, but we're honest. We hold reality. And then we be real and be still. And what that means, with these things in our hand, we approach God. And what it says in the Bible is, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the nations and on earth, and I will never leave you and forsake you. And so what we do with this handful, armful of Things, we are still before him. We, we stop trying to fix things for a little bit. Now, there's things that we're going to have to do so that we can address issues that we need to address. But first and foremost, before we tinker and we just drop our hands before God and think about the fact that you say that you'll be exalted in the nations and on earth and you'll never leave and forsake me, even though I have all these things. And when we... Practice being real and being still. Faith is able to breathe freely. We talk with God honestly. We don't pretend. We verbalize to him. It's a conversation. It's what we like about mothers. By and large, a mother is the closest person to God relative to loving unconditionally. I remember what my mother said when her mother passed away. What struck her is the person who most in this world loved her unconditionally had gone. And it leaves a vacuum. You can say things to mothers by and large. And God is that and much more. We can breathe freely with him. Be real, be still, breathe freely. Then we can wait perseveringly. The verbalizing things to God helps us to feel less driven. We tend to be driven when we feel alone. And that's what connecting with God does. And then we can wait perseveringly. And if we be real, be still, breathe freely, wait perseveringly, it allows us to respond gently. And that's how we have looked at. There's a number of different things, ways to look at faith, hope, and love. What we're going to do this morning, though, we're going to look at love. It says it's the greatest of these things. There's a couple different words for love in the Bible. Um, One is eros, and this is the love of lovers. It's marital love, romantic love. There's storge, it's the love of family. It's the love of a mother for a child. Um sometimes the love of a people for their king in view of Mother's Day. This is the kind of love that we think about. There is Philia, the love of friends. And not just the love of friends, it's it's the love of things to which we are attracted. And so it's it's neighbors and and friends, and it can even be wisdom, that's Philadelphia, the love of brothers, It's or philosophy, the love of wisdom, a number of different things that we can love, so that is, and as we kind of, again, we look at these things as eros, that That's and these are Greek words, so the Greek don't have one word for love, they have a bunch of them, and they kind of divide it up, so there's the love of lovers, that's eros, storge, the love of family, then there is philia the love of friends, and then there is agape, which is the love of God. It, this word, it, it has a generous um, move by one for the sake of the other. And this is fueled more by the character of the one loving. Philia is, is fueled by the fact that there is some inherent attraction. You feel close to the person, and therefore love flows across the bond, because the bond is pretty close. It is with a neighbor and a brother and a sister. But agape is different. It's fueled by the character of the one loving, even though there might be a great divide between the one loving and the one loved. Agape has a longer reach than philia does, it reaches across expanses. And that's how we can differentiate that. The two are used interchangeably in the Bible philia and agape. Those are by far the most common ones, and and they are used in, you really can't tell the difference between the two, because God has reached, and he does conceive of the connection as being a close one. Therefore, it is both agape, in that it reaches across an expanse, and it is philia, in that having reached across the expanse, there is a bond that connects God to you. Now, we don't always feel it, but he does. And there's a sense of intimacy, and that's why both of those words are used. When we are thinking about love, uh, we are moving in the right direction. It is the direction in which we become the people that God wants us to be. And when we are not, we end up moving in the wrong direction. Now, what I'm saying by that, moving, is because this is a process. You know, it's not religion or faith. Spirituality is not a once and done. What it does do, though, is you identify that place that you want to move towards. And you move towards it. And that place is the love of God. That is what enables us to be like Jesus. Jesus came into this world. The person that walked the planet who most understood the love of God was Jesus Christ. And it's what made Jesus, Jesus. He was driven by the fact that even though his stomach was hungry, even though he was on a cross, even though all these things were happening, he didn't have what he wanted. He had what he didn't want, but he could endure these things. Why? Because he wasn't alone. He knew he wasn't alone. He knew his father was with him. Um, that defines those who are becoming the people he wants them to be, becoming like Christ, moving in the right direction, and then we can be moving in the wrong direction. And What we'll look at are several hints looking at your heart if you're doing a spiritually KG, and if you see this or that or the other, we'll identify three different things in your heart that would lead us to believe that you might be drifting You might be drifting or you still have some movement. And so for all of us, hopefully by the end of the time we leave here, we will recognize the need to continue to move towards the love of God. Um, Moving in the right direction. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches in John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says, again, this is the evening before he's going to be taken back to the Father. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, he tells his best friends at the time. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Jesus says two things, remain in me and to remain in his love. Those are interchangeable. To remain in Jesus is to remain in his love. To remain in his love is to remain in Jesus. He tells them to remain in his love because that's where he has located them. That's where he's placed them. He has drawn them into the circle of love that he experiences with the Father. Now, when he says, if you... Remain in me, you will remain in my love. There's only one thing that will give that teeth. And if you do what I command, you remain in my love. There's one thing that will make that again, that, that gives that substance. Otherwise, it falls flat on its face. If they don't understand that he loves them, would you agree? You can't remain in a place that you don't occupy. If this seat is the love of God, and I'm not sitting in a seat, I can't remain in a seat that I'm not sitting in. Right? Am I remaining in the seat? No, you're not remaining in the seat, Mike, because you're not sitting in the seat to begin with. You can't remain in a place where you're not sitting. Would that be the same thing with the love of God? He says, if you do what I command, you remain in my love. You know why he talks about remaining in his love? This is significant. This is significant. They knew he loved him. And you know why they wanted to do what he said? because they didn't want to be disconnected from somebody who loves them. You know, when we think of God, think of interfacing with God, we're not Jesus. Again, for all of us, we sense distance. He seems too perfect. And we tend to view the divide. And we talk about the love of God. But frankly, for us, this is very, very challenging to believe that God loves us. You know, we could say, does God love you? Yeah, God loves me. And we we try to believe it at a level... But really, believing it is very, very difficult. Very difficult. And we can understand that because we tend to be pretty frightened. And we'll see, our heart becomes closed and cold and crowded. But before we look at that, uh, I think we would agree that uh, Jesus, they knew that Jesus loved them. And that's why remaining in his love was motivating. They would take the command to obedience seriously in order to remain in his love. Oftentimes we hear the command, obey. But we don't understand the fuel for obedience is remaining in his love. Why am I going to sit in the chair? Because I want to remain in his love. Why am I going to obey? Because I don't want to be disconnected from somebody who I know loves me. That's what drove them. That's interesting, isn't it? And again, I know if you put your hand on your spiritual pulse, how much of what you do, and again, I'm not going to point my finger at you, How much of your approach to God is driven by the fact that you want to continue to be loved by him? Sometimes we think, well, I need to obey in order to get loved. I'm not sitting in the chair yet. (laughs) So what I'm going to do, I'm going to obey so that I could sit in the chair. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. You need to obey not to get in the chair, but to remain in it. You know, does that make sense? And we're going to say, you know what love is? Love is the reason for obedience, not the result of it. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to say it at the end, too. Love is not the result of obedience. It's the reason for it. Um, We're going to come back to this. Let's talk about moving in the wrong direction. Um, John is the writer who most of all the biblical writers stresses Love, where Paul stresses faith, and faith is the word that Paul uses over and over again, and John uses faith, but whereas Paul might talk about remaining in faith, continuing to have faith, John would say loving and remaining in love. Um, There's some things that indicate that we're moving in the wrong direction, and again, what I mean by wrong direction is I'm not meaning, mm," I'm saying you're not moving towards love, so to the degree that these things continue to head in the direction of love and you'll take care of these things. One thing is a crowded heart. And again, we're taking all these from 1 John 2, the letter that John writes, where he indicates three different heart conditions that indicate that we have a ways to go to move into the love of God. Look at the first. He says in 1 John 2:15, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. Um, the world has a crowding effect. The world's effect is is like a computer virus. Do you know how a computer virus works? I know very little. I see some of you know a lot more about computers, but I think what it is, it's when a task is given to the computer that takes up so much of its space and energy that it doesn't have the space to do the things that you want it to do. It's processing. Is that close? Uh, I don't see. <laughs> I know some people who know computers, and then they go, anyway, uh, Anyways, close enough. <laughs> it's uh, So what I'm saying is that it's it's not things that are antagonistic to God that are the problem. It's just when it gets so crowded that there's no space for him. When um, he's talked about the thorns choke the word, choke so that the word is not fruitful. I think I've said this before. That image, Jesus uses the same word a little bit later. In fact, in the next chapter, I believe, and here's what choking looks like. You know, you think of choking, you think of this, throttling. And that's not the image for choking. It's not what causes the seed to not bear fruit. It's a different kind of choking. Here's what happened. Uh, Jesus was in talking to people and and then he left that place and he had a bunch of people crowding around him so that he couldn't move. He was choked. That's the image for choking. It's being so inundated that you have no room to move. That's the crowding effect. That's what happens to our heart. The reason why we make time for God is not because we have to, but to make room for thoughts is part of faith, isn't it? Making room. We're so inundated by things. and We live in a very quick society. We have a bunch of time-saving devices. Time-saving devices that don't leave much time to think about him. And that's what Jesus did. You know what we learn about him? He got up a great deal before day to spend time. You know what he was doing? Get this. It's going to surprise you. He was spending time with somebody he liked to spend time with. How about that? Not about, well, Jesus was there, and you didn't have your quiet time, and he's disappointed. It really wasn't there. It was that he moved towards and spent time with somebody who cared for him, and he thought about the word, and he communicated with his father. And that's what faith looks like. That's what it's about. The world has a crowding effect and tends to crowd that out. The world encourages us to possess and to parade. That's what it means when it says everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does. What that's about, it it creates a picture of possessing. Possessing. By the way, did you see I have this? Possess something. Let's say this is something very significant. And you know what I do? If I have something that I'm glad I possess, what am I going to do? If I possess it, I'm not going to put it in my pocket. If this is a very valuable thing, what am I going to do? I'm going to parade it. (laughs) And you know what I'm doing? You know why I'm possessing and parading? Because I'm seeing that you're looking at this thing, smiling, and you really want it. And you know what? That makes me feel important. That's what we do. We possess things and parade them. Possess and parade. Possess and parade, possess and parade, possess and parade, possess and parade, and now life becomes possess and parade. And it's not that that, because there's things we need to possess, and it's okay to like what you have, but it crowds out space, doesn't it? And no time to just sit. Especially to think with him about the things that you don't possess, that you would like to have, or things that you possess that you don't have the things that you're not going to hold out for people, but you're going to stick away in a pocket because you don't want anybody to know that you do that thing or you have that thing. And that's where God comes in. He knows us intimately, and he would have us tempt him. Somebody who's bent on getting all they want will not be able to know God's love deeply. That's what it says. If we love the world, and again, all of us deal with this to the degree that that holds us, Love for the world and love for God cannot coexist. So what do you do? Get to know his commitments. Be real, be still, breathe freely, wait perseveringly, respond gently. Uh, You might be concerned because you are caught by the influence of the world. You you really don't have much time to think about God. It's hard. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What's the answer? What did Jesus say? Sit in the seat first. What seat is this? This is the seat about God's love. You know what you do? Some of us we just don't really know what, what, what it means to sit in a seat like that because, you know, people like well, JC sit in seats like that. You know, I don't I don't sit in a seat that, that is for people who love God. He's inviting you to sit in that seat, and in fact, sitting in it will make or break your Christian life. The seat's for you. Yeah, he knows what you've done. And this seat's for you. You know how you're going to become the person he wants you to be? Sitting in the seat. You don't wait to change to sit in the seat. You sit in the seat to change. The seat is for you. If you want to be less in love with the world, then again, you're going to love things. You don't want to be crazy, but become a student of God's love. You have to know his commitments. That's what the song was about that, that, that Joe wrote. Why? Because we have to think about commitments. That's kind of the fuel for the Christian life. Um, sometimes, though, our hearts crowded, and other times our hearts closed. Look what it says, First John 3, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. The word for compassion in the Bible, it comes from motherhood. You know what it means literally? Womb. Bowels, womb, it has to do with this part. And what happened with Jesus, the reason why Jesus did miracles, he it hit him in the gut, in that place that births things, and it comes from the mother. Um, and what ends up happening, or why he's writing this here, is there's some people who are so spiritually minded, not in a good way, They are so spiritually minded that they have no time to care about people. And you know what John ends up saying in this letter? Hey, listen. God is identified as somebody who loves. If you're so busy being spiritual that you have no time for people, guess what? The spirituality is not his. Not his. Because the kind of spirituality that God will encourage opens its heart to people in need. It sees people. It understands where they are. And there's a sense of, "Mm," you felt that. Every mother feels it. Every mother feels it. That's why we love mothers. It's when they see their children and others, there's something inherently, instinctively, "Mm," they feel, you feel it. And you go towards to alleviate the need. And that's why Jesus did what he did. That's how the father feels. Uh, it's, It's how we reflect a relationship with him by turning that to the world. Finally, there's a cold heart. What it says in 1 John 4, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love, it says God is love. It says perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And this is a very straightforward verse. Very straightforward verse, but very surprising. Um, Sometimes we feel that judgment and punishment are things that we need to consider because that's what motivates us to change. Again, that's a very common conception, that it's the fear of God's judgment that motivates us to behave. How many of you have heard that? The fear of God's judgment is the motivation. You know what it says here? There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. So, if you are sitting in this chair, and say if you sat in it a while, what will happen to your fear of judgment the longer you sit in this chair? Here I am afraid of God's judgment. The closer I get, the more time I spend in this chair. You know what? I'm not so afraid of his judgment. You know why? Because love and fear are mutually exclusive. They displace one another. They're like oil and water. If you know God's love, you're not going to be afraid of him. Because perfect love drives out fear. Say, Mike, I'm afraid of God. I get that. You know what I'd say? What am I going to say? Sit in the seat. Sit in the seat. And you know what's going to happen is you sit in the seat. Here's the fear of God. Here's the love of God. See, some of you are trying not to be afraid. I'm not, I'm not going to fear God. I will not fear Him. That doesn't work really well, does it? Can I, can I introduce do something else? This is fear. Your fear is high. How many of you fear high? Oh, don't you? Don't raise your hand. You're afraid to anyways. That's okay. <laughs> fear is high. Love is low. You know what you do? Don't look up there. Look down here. Guess what? I wonder why I'm not as afraid of God now. You know why? Well, you know why, right? Because perfect love drives out fear. This is not rocket science. And what does God want us to do? Love. Okay, mothers. Mothers. we don't love you because we're afraid of you. There is a little bit of a discussion happening right up here <laughs> that, might be, that might be calling that into question. <laughs> but really, that is true, isn't it? There might be concern. But the reason why? Love mothers because they know that they love us. Their love isn't always understandable, but love begets love. That's why we love mothers. Um, we can't be afraid of God and love Him at the same time. Just that simple. I'm not saying I'm afraid of God, so I want to love Him. So okay. So say. You're, you're there. You say, Mike, this is, this is freaking me out. I'm afraid of God. So what am I going to say? Sit in the chair. That's where we solve it. That's we solve it. This is what we move towards. Move towards it. Thinking about the love of God is not an abdication. It's not, okay, if we can't get serious about sin, then I guess we'll have to think about the love of God. Come on. God wants you to love. He's not going to frighten you into loving others. It doesn't work. Sit in the chair. Um, You know what this means? Really. Because some of you do things. We do things. We do things we're not really happy about. It would never parade. Listen to me. I'll tell you something. The answer to your problem is not that you need to be more afraid of God. You do not need to be more afraid of God. You need to know how much He loves you. You need to sit in a chair. That's why you act in self-protective ways. That's why we devour people. Don't care for people. We're selfish. We need to spend time in the chair. Remain in his love. You know what ends up happening if you remain in his love? We remain. He removes the things that get in the way of fruit and then we reproduce. That's the way it works. We remain. He removes thoughts that are in the way and we reproduce. We remain. He removes. We reproduce. That's the way it works. The problem is that we don't believe that love is the answer. Um, It's easy to believe that obedience is the answer. It's easy to believe that love is the result of obedience, that when we obey, God loves. No, it's flipped around. Um, Difficult to believe that love is the reason for obedience, but it is. That's why Jesus says, remain in my love. Um, Communion. That's where we are. We're going to go to the table uh, do you know that really what this table is about? Jesus, when he came, completely reframes the thoughts of the world about God. Completely changed. God was not someone whose love you would think about on the front end of Jesus. And on the backside of Jesus or the tail end with Jesus, now it is. He wanted to demonstrate his love. And he wanted you to sit in it so that you could be like his son. Uh, We're going to have communion now, and we're going to have some music. And sometimes during the music, there's a table in the back and a table here. Everybody's invited, please. And then you take the juice and take the bread. Nobody's going to tell you when to take it. But when you take it, when you drink the juice, think about the fact that he sent his son to die so that you would know that you're loved. Because a Christian is a sinner who knows that they're loved. And when you eat the bread, think the same thing. Sit in the love of God. And you might even do that. When you get up, take the elements. Turn your chair into the love of God. And you know what? You might sit in it and say, you know what? I'm, I really would like to sit in a chair that represents your love. Help me. And then have a closing song. Father, thanks for your love and, and how your love reaches all the way to where we are. Um, we see this reflected. This kind of love is reflected in moms. Thanks that we get to honor them. And it's reflected more purely in your son. It reflects what your love is like, reaches all the way to where we are. Thanks for that. And I pray that you would teach us how to sit in that love so that we can become more like your son. Jesus and daughter. In Jesus' name. Amen. Moms have a great day.